Good morning. I'm glad that you're able to come and worship uh, with us this morning. We're excited to be able to worship God together as a body of believers all in one place. Um, so we're excited to at least be able to start the process of that. Um, and so this Wednesday, we're going to start having our uh, live services on Wednesday um, at 6.30. So we encourage you to sign up for that service. And then also on Sundays, both at 8.30 and 10.30, we're going to have watch parties uh, where you can come and worship God together that way as well. Um, so I encourage you all to sign up for one of those services. It is different than what we're used to, um, but it's still important to get together as a body of believers and to worship God together and to also have fellowship. So I encourage you to sign up for one of those services. Also, this Friday, we're going to have our annual business meeting, and we will be voting on some uh, important things for this coming year, along with our budget. So I encourage you to come out to that, um, especially members. We need uh, about 50 of you. Um, so please plan to come out uh, this Friday for 6.30 for our annual business meeting. So then also, um, although things have been different at church, um, people still have been ministering um, and we thank all of you for that. We thank you that you have continued to minister during this time. Uh, this Today, we would like to uh, specifically thank our ministers of the month, who are the grasses. Chris is going to be sharing with us a testimony. Um, and so they've just come out and uh, helped clean up during this time. Um, and Chris has been part of the worship as well. So we thank you thank you, Grasses, and thank everyone else who has come out and ministered during this time. So let's watch Chris's testimony, and then let's all worship God together. Hello, my name is Christopher Grass, and I've been coming to Hope Baptist Church for about two and a half to three years. Uh, you may have recognized me from sitting in the back of the drums, banging away, making everything louder than probably what it should be. I was asked to talk about what it means to serve Jesus, and I think uh, that's one of the greatest gifts that we have is uh, to serve Jesus Christ. We always serve something in our lives, and unfortunately the majority of our lives is serving sin. But when I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart, and I realized what it was to be a servant, even Jesus himself humbled himself before his own disciples by washing their feet. So we ourselves should be humbled in, in serving him and being proud to be called servants. Uh, I also think it's very good to set an example for the younger generations coming up to see that it is okay and it is a blessing to serve Jesus in the community and in the church. So uh, we heard that the church needed to be clean due to the coronavirus and that, uh, praise God, we would be able to start coming back and seeing each other. And, I thought to myself, well, this is a great opportunity, aside from being on the worship team, which is, to me, an amazing honor to be playing with such talented people, uh, to give back to the church and, and to the community. And, and we came in with Heather and the kids, and we began to the, the floors, and Heather was cleaning windows, and uh, 
we saw Angela and Amy and Ray and all these other people coming in as a church body to take care of the church, to get ready for our worship because we have been away from each other physically but not spiritually for so long that we are ready to come back and I wanted to be a part of being able to bring us back to that. So on behalf of my family and the church, we would like to thank all the volunteers who come in to help get everything ready. I'd like to thank the pastors for their hard work over this time in Coronas. It has not been easy for them as well. And let's get together and serve Christ.
Let's pray together. Lord God, you are our Father. I thank you that you are in control of all things. I thank you that we are able to trust and rely on you in the midst of our trials and what and the trials we face here on earth. I pray for those who are suffering during this time of social distancing. I pray that you will bring some relief with the lifting of some of the restrictions. I pray for those with elderly parents and family members who are unable to see them at this time. I pray that you will help all those who are isolated to know and to feel your love, God. I pray that you would use this time in our lives to draw us closer to you. You are faithful and true. And I ask that you would bring us closer to you because you are what we need most in our lives each day. I thank you for your promises that we have to hold on to and to look forward to. And I thank you that we will one day be with you in heaven. I pray that you will help us to keep our minds set on you each day. I pray these things in Jesus' great and holy name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. You can follow along with me. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is of much more excellence than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Amen. I am wearing something today that I have worn for 28 years. No, I have not worn this shirt for 28 years. My neck is a little bit fuller than it was 28 years ago. And I also have a few more inches on my waistline than I did those many years ago. So I am not wearing clothes that I have worn for 28 years. What I am wearing instead is this, my wedding ring. 28 years ago, Wendy and I made promises to one another on our wedding day. And on that day, I began to wear this wedding ring as the sign of the covenant that we made with one another. Every time I look at the ring, I am reminded of the vows that we made to one another. I am reminded that I belong to her 
and she belongs to me. I remember that I promised to forsake all others and to cling only to Wendy. When I look at my wedding ring, I remember the promise that I made to faithfully love her regardless of whatever circumstances that we are in. I promise to love her in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, until death do us part. Those are the promises I remember whenever I look at my wedding ring. In the second half of Hebrews chapter 8, which we just read, we see that it is not just human beings who make promises. God also makes promises and enters into covenants, just like the marriage covenant that we human beings make. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is like a contract or a treaty between two different parties. We humans make covenants in marriage as well as in treaties between nations. And God makes covenants with his people. Now, it might sound terribly sterile to think of a marriage covenant in just legal or contractual terms. But just because marriage is a contract does not mean that it is only a contract that the state supports. Marriage also obviously has a strong relational and emotional component as the husband and the wife love one another. The same thing is true with regard to the covenants that God makes with his people. God loves his people very much. Throughout the Bible, we see that God makes several different kinds of covenants with his people. And in all of these different covenants, we see that God does not reveal his plan of salvation all at once, but in various stages. Today, we will see that you, as God's people, desperately need the new covenant with God that we live under today. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, and let's see some of the reasons why we need this new covenant. First of all, we see as we look at Hebrews 8 that the old covenant was faulty. Last week, we saw the author of Hebrews talk about Jesus as a greater high priest than any of the priests who were descended from Levi in the Old Testament. So in verse 6, the author says that Jesus was a greater high priest. Therefore, the new covenant that Jesus brings in is also better. Verse 6 says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So what is this old covenant that the author of Hebrews is talking about? It is the covenant that God made with his people Israel through Moses. We see this in verse 9 where the author quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 to 34 and says that the new covenant is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So what is the nature of this covenant between God and Israel? We see that God made this covenant with Israel after he had saved them from slavery in Egypt. He had saved them by his grace. Now, how should people respond to this grace of God that he has used to save us? 
Well, in the days of Israel, God wanted them to obey his law, including the Ten Commandments, which was given to them through Moses. If they obeyed the law of God, God promised to bless Israel in every way. These were the promises that God made in the Old Covenant. He promised to bless them, but if they disobeyed, God promised, or perhaps threatened is a better word, to curse his people. And as for Israel, they promised in the Old Covenant to obey God's law. The Israelites weren't stupid. They didn't say, well, let's see here. Do I want to be blessed by God or cursed by God? Let me think about that for a minute. I'll go with blessed. And so since the people of Israel wanted to be blessed by God, they promised to obey God's law and the covenant they made with him. But there was a problem with the old covenant that we discover in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. The old covenant with Israel was not faultless. It was defective in some way. This does not mean that the old covenant was bad or sinful or wrong. It just means that the old covenant could not accomplish what it promised. It could not bring God's people the greatest blessing that God wanted to give to Israel, the complete and final forgiveness of their sins. God had given his people the law in the old covenant as an expression of his holy character. And with that law, God had given the Levitical priests and the animal sacrifices to bring the people forgiveness for their sins. But were the law, the priests, and the animal sacrifices enough to bring forgiveness? No. The old covenant was defective then in saving the people from their sins. And the reason the old covenant was defective was because the people of God, Israel, was defective. We read in verse 8, For he finds fault with them. In verse 7, God finds fault with the Old Covenant. But then in verse 8, God finds fault with Israel, his people. Israel had not kept their part of the covenant. They had not kept their end of the deal. They rebelled. They sinned. They refused to do God's will. And worst of all, Israel committed spiritual adultery. In terms of the marriage covenant, the people of Israel had cheated on God. Their loving husband, who had graciously saved them and delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Instead, Israel loved and worshipped idols, false gods. And so by the time of the prophet Jeremiah, it was clear to everyone in Israel that the Old Covenant was not working. Instead of receiving the blessing of God because the people were obeying God's law, they were receiving God's curse because they were disobeying. The Israelites, by the time of Jeremiah, had already seen the northern kingdom of Israel 
defeated by the Assyrians and taken off into exile. And by the days of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was prophesying that the southern kingdom of Judah was about to be defeated by the Babylonians and also taken into exile. What a mess Israel was in by the time Jeremiah came along. So what did God do in the days of Jeremiah? God promised in verse 8 in a quotation from Jeremiah to send a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The old covenant then was not designed to be permanent. It was temporary. It was provisional. It pointed forward to a new covenant that would be mediated through Jesus, our better high priest, who would offer the better sacrifice of himself to bring us full and final forgiveness for all of our sins. And in the new covenant, just like in the old covenant, keeping God's law would be very important. But we will see in a few minutes that in the new covenant, that Jesus actually gives us the power that we need to obey his law. And so because the old covenant was defective, it was clear to everyone that we need a new covenant. And thank God that he has given to us that new covenant through Jesus, his son. Through Jesus, we can finally be saved from our sins. This past month, I have been watching a documentary about sin on TV. And actually, it was a documentary about Michael Jordan, one of my heroes who entered the University of North Carolina in the same year that I did. The documentary was called The Last Dance, and it told the story of Michael Jordan's last championship year with the Chicago Bulls basketball team. The documentary revealed that it was rage that fueled much of Michael Jordan's excellence on the basketball court. Michael Jordan was angry when anyone suggested that someone might be a player as good as he was. And he was furious when his teammates did not perform up to his standards. Pride and jealousy and anger were three of the seven deadly sins that were on full display in this documentary. Greed was also another sin revealed in the documentary. And the documentary did not even deal with the lust that caused Michael Jordan to commit adultery against his wife. Sin was everywhere then in this documentary. Now, when I look at Michael Jordan's life, or when I read about the Israelites in the Old Testament, it can be very easy for me to be a Pharisee. Being a Pharisee is really such fun. I can look down my nose at these people and say about them, what sinners! Why didn't these people just obey God like I do? Why didn't they do better or try harder? If you have ever asked yourself these questions, I must warn you that the Holy Spirit will not go easy on you. 
the Spirit instead will say to you, Oh, so you think that you have been perfectly obedient to God? Do you remember the time that? Or do you remember when you did that? It is in those moments when the Holy Spirit convicts you that you realize that you are just as much a sinner as all of those people that you look down upon. Doing better and trying harder has not helped you at all to obey God perfectly. In fact, when you are honest, there are times when you admit that you don't even want to obey God. You actually want to sin. God help us all. We want to be blessed by God by living in obedience to his word. But the old covenant was defective. It was defective because we are defective. We cannot obey God. And we won't obey God. We are rebels. We desperately need then a new covenant. The old covenant could not save us from our sins or bring us God's blessing. And so Hebrews 8 goes on to say that the new covenant with God is not only new, but better, better in every way than the old covenant. Beginning in verse 10, the author of Hebrews describes the new covenant with God's people that Jeremiah had prophesied about. Something new had dramatically come with Jesus. Jesus is the direct and only fulfillment of all of the sacrifices and the priesthood of the Old Testament. Now, why did Jesus need to intervene to bring about this new covenant between God and his people? And what was new and improved in the new covenant that Jesus brought? We see three new things in this new covenant. First, we see a new power in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When God gave the law in Moses' day, it was written on stone tablets. It was external to the people. They had to pick it up and read it. It focused on commands, which caused some of the Israelites or many of the Israelites to participate in the covenant only outwardly as their duty. The people knew God's commands, but they did not have an inclination to obey God's commands. But in the New Covenant, where does God write his laws? Not on stone tablets, not on paper, but God writes his law on our hearts. God then is trying to get the law that he wrote into our lives, into our hearts internally. The Old Covenant told us how to please God by giving us his law. But the New Covenant gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to actually obey those laws. 
We obey God not just out of a sense of duty, but because we want to. Now it is our delight to obey God, because God's law is written on our heart. We have the power to obey God with the new covenant, because we now obey God from the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we in the church are now the new Israel, the people that God always wanted through the new covenant. We are the house of Israel as God's people that he writes about in verse 10. Let's imagine for a moment that a man stops on his way home from work to buy his wife some flowers. And as soon as he gets home, he gives to his wife the flowers. And he says, I read an article at lunch today that said that I should give my wife flowers once a month. So here are the flowers. I have done my duty. I hope you are happy. And then with that, the man went outside to his garage where he could tinkler on his machinery for the rest of the night. Now, would such a man melt his wife's heart? I think it's safe to say not. Now, let's consider another man. When he comes home with flowers for his wife, he says to her these words, I could not stop thinking about you today. You were always on my heart. I thought about the beauty of your character and all the many good things that you have done for me and for our family. So I just had to get you these flowers to show you how beautiful you are to me. Church, the new covenant empowers us to be this second type of husband. We love and obey God not merely because it's our duty. We love and obey God because the new covenant has given us a new heart for God. And it is also given to us the power of the Holy Spirit to obey God in all that we do. Now, we not only have a new power in the new covenant, we also have a new people in the new covenant. We see that in verse 11 where we read, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. In the old covenant, the people of God were a mixed community. The people of Israel contained both believers in God and unbelievers in God. And so the unbelievers within Israel were consistently encouraged to know the Lord. Stop your unbelief. Know God. Obey him. They had to be encouraged to do that. But in the new covenant, the new Israel, the church, it consists of people who all know the Lord. All in the church have been born again by the Holy Spirit. Everyone who belongs to God's church has a personal relationship with God. We all know him intimately. Now, please do not hear what this verse is not saying. This verse is not denying that some people 
claim to have a relationship with Jesus that they don't possess. There will always be people like that. But if you are truly a member of the new covenant, you know the Lord. This is made clear in another verse, another prophecy about the new covenant that is found in the prophet Ezekiel in verses 26 and 27 of Ezekiel chapter 36. There we read, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. All the members of the new covenant, from the least of them to the greatest of them, they all know the Lord. We are no longer like the mixed community of believers and unbelievers in Israel. In the new Israel, the church, everyone knows the Lord. We are a new people created by the new covenant. And finally, in the new covenant, we have a new priest. Verse 12 says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The old covenant pointed ahead to a day when sins would be really and finally forgiven. But the old covenant was defective. It could not actually bring forgiveness because animal sacrifices cannot bring forgiveness for human sins. We need a new priest then who would offer a new sacrifice to bring us genuine and lasting forgiveness from God. Jesus is that new priest. And the sacrifice that he offered up on the cross brings us forgiveness for our sins when we put our faith in Christ. If you trust that Jesus died for your sins, do you know what God thinks about all of your sins today? Actually, God does not think at all about your sins. The amazing truth is this. God chooses purposefully to forget about your sins. He blocks them out of his mind. We read in verse 12, And I will remember their sins no more. Isn't that great? You are now free of all of your guilt. You are free of all of your shame in the presence of God today. You can worship God freely and joyfully because of Jesus, your great high priest, who died on the cross to bring you forgiveness of sin. So what does it mean for you that the new covenant has brought you a new power, a new people, and a, a new priest? It means that the new covenant that comes with Jesus is a whole lot better than the old covenant. According to verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. The old covenant was temporary. It was an important stage in God's plan of salvation. But it was not the ultimate stage. It pointed forward to the new covenant when Jesus would bring us complete 
forgiveness. So church, don't live like you are still under the old covenant. Its day as a legally binding contract with God is over. Don't live by the motto, do better, try harder. Obeying God out of a sense of duty does not work. The old covenant and the people of Israel proved that it doesn't work. The only way that we can obey God is by God giving to us a new heart and giving to us the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what God has done in the new covenant. So thank God that Jesus, your high priest, died on the cross for your sins so that you are finally forgiven of those sins. And thank him also for the gift of a new heart and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ask him then to grow you in your joy in him and ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can now obey God from the heart. Church, the new covenant that has come with Jesus is so much better than the old covenant. The old covenant had no power to help Israel obey God's law. But with the new covenant, God's law is now written on our hearts. So it is our joy and our delight to obey God's law. And our new heart is based on full forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus' death on the cross for those sins. So church, rejoice because of the new covenant. Your sins are completely forgiven and forgotten. And you are now a new creature with a new heart for God. Let's pray together. God, what joy we have because we are now living under the new covenant. Thank you that because of the new covenant, we now have the power to obey your laws. Now we desire to do your will, and now we have the power to do that will. Thank you for the new covenant that has come. Thank you for the new heart that you have given us for you. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who now lives in us to empower us to obey you. God, how grateful we are to be part of this new people of God that you have given in the church. How grateful we are as well for the new priests that we enjoy, Jesus our Savior. Lord, may we never want to go back to the old covenant. For those of us who are trying to live by the motto of do better, try harder, help us to give up on that. Help us to leave that lifestyle behind. It does not help us to become like you. It does not help us in our obedience. So help us instead to live under the new covenant. Help us to live as Jesus' people in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Once again, thank you so much for joining us today for our worship service together. We want to strongly encourage you, if you haven't already, to go on our website, hbcmanchester.org, and sign up for this week's worship services, either for this Wednesday or for next Sunday. We so want to see you, so sign up and then come out and join us here. We're looking forward to seeing you. Have a fantastic week. Keep God first in your life.